All right. Welcome, family. Welcome, church. Let's come on and find our seats and let's dive in to the word of the Lord this morning. How is everyone today? Everyone's fantastic. Good. I missed you guys. It is, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be with you. And uh, we can say authentically that, that we did miss you. For those of you who are new with us today, either in person or online, welcome to New Life Midtown. It's great to have you together with us. My name is Jay Duncan, along with my wife, Christy. We have the privilege of leading as lead pastors here at Midtown. And we've, uh, we've been out of pocket for about four Sundays. It's been an incredible gift and an incredible blessing for us. Two years ago, our elders got together and they said, uh, we want to keep you around for a while. So we want to create a rhythm where you guys are taking extended Sabbaths, and we call that a sabbatical. And uh, they set that in motion about two years ago. We were supposed to leave last year, and uh, a little thing called COVID-19 happened, and it disrupted all of our plans, not the least our plans to to take uh, some time off. So um, we're actually breaking our sabbatical up into two parts, and we did the first part over the past four weeks. And uh, we'll be taking part two in October and November. But uh, it's good to be together this morning. Uh, why don't you just, again, look around the room and see who is gathered here in the house of the Lord. Jason, it's good to see you. Caitlin, it's great to see your face, sweetie. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people that uh, are just kind of finding their way back into the gathering. And it's, it's so good. Love you guys. Um, I've got a little bit of bad news and I think good news, all right? So I don't know about you, but I like usually getting the bad news first. It's not really bad news, okay? Uh, we're not starting Galatians today. <laughs> um, but the good news is, is I've got a word that is burning in my heart. And I think it is a word for this house and I think it's a word for now. And I'm, I'm not gonna try to parse out all that that means, I'm just gonna give it to you and let the Lord work that out with you. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter six. 2 Samuel chapter six. And we're gonna do something a little uncharacteristic here. We're gonna read the entire chapter. We're gonna read, somebody say, wow. <laughs> we're gonna read the entire chapter of 2 Samuel chapter six. And, um, and then we're gonna preach this thing strong this morning. Amen, amen. Hey, before I get into that, can I just say, we have such a strong house and we have such an incredible leadership ministry team. Christy and I were able to, uh, to stay connected to the services over the past four Sundays, the two panels that took place. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal ministry. Uh, Pastor Jonathan, where did he go? Here he is. Man, your leadership. I, I just found myself being so grateful. So grateful for Pastor Jonathan Swindle over the past four Sundays and, and so proud too, watching you from a distance. And I tell you, he's one of the best teachers and worship leaders that I know, which has gotta be so difficult for you. Do I lead worship? Do I teach? Do I teach? Do I lead worship? Oh my gosh. No, these guys have done a phenomenal job and I'm so, so deeply grateful and I'm so proud. All right, Second Samuel chapter six, let me find my way there. I like hearing the pages of the Bible turn, and here we are. Let's go. David again brought together all of the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all of his men went to Bela in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, Ohio, calm down, Hoyts over there. It's not Ohio, that's Ahio. Sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and he took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act and therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry. 
David was angry. And I don't blame him, guys. Imagine this, right? God, we're trying to do right by you. We're trying to bring your ark in. We've created a new cart to put this ark on. For those of you who aren't aware, a little bit of the backstory here is that God actually prescribed a certain particular way for the ark to be carried. It wasn't to be carried on mechanisms and engineering structures like carts, as good as that might be. The ark of God, which represents the presence of God, was to be carried on the shoulders of his people. You and I were created to be carriers of the ark. You and I were created in the image of God to do what no other creature on the planet can do and to do what no artificial intelligence can do, as amazing as that might be, to do what no other form or feat of science or technology or engineering can do. You and I were created in the way that we live for God to carry the presence of God into the world. And this is one of the reasons why the natural consequence of them taking shortcuts took place. I want us to understand some of the backstory there. So David was angry, though. Like, this feels unjust. This doesn't feel right. Because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. Verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to a little pit stop to the house of a man named Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. Imagine, imagine, you're just trucking along, doing life, tending to your crops, raising your kids, and then all of a sudden the ark of the covenant of the Lord of Israel shows up in your house. The presence of God takes front and center in your home. That's incredible, you guys. And consequently, what we're going to find here is that the Lord blessed him and his entire household. The blessing of God is a result of the presence of God. It's a result of us being faithful to tend to the presence of God. It's a result of us saying, God, we're going to prioritize your personhood and your presence in our lives. And that is how blessing comes to our lives individually, to our families, to our businesses, our schools, and our neighborhoods. Verse 12. Now, King David was told the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark. So there's this righteous, holy jealousy. There's this provocation. David is saying, I want that blessing in the city of David. I want that blessing for my city. I want that for the nation of Israel. And so he begins to pray and think and create plans. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf wearing a linen ephod. I'm just, I need you to get into this real quick for a moment. I mean, if like, if I were with youth, Or if I were doing like missions training, I'd have everybody stand up and take six steps. Six steps, and then we would all stop. And imagine how long it takes to slaughter a bull and a fattened calf and to create an altar and slaughter that and make offering and make worship to the Lord. And then after that's done, we take another six steps and we do it all over again. And essentially what David is doing is he's saying, I tried this before. We created an ark. We used our ingenuity. We tried to get people into the house of God. We tried to use slick methods and programs in order to get the presence of God into our place. I hope you guys are reading between the lines here a little bit. And essentially what God is saying, listen, son, I just want you to be obedient to the steps that I've asked you to take. And so the second time around, David says, I'm not playing games here. We're going to take six steps. We're going to make everything, make sure everything's fine. We're going to stop. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to make an offering to the Lord. We're going to get back up together. We're going to take another six steps, and we're going to repeat the process until the ark of God comes into the city of David. Imagine the work, the energy, the time, the attention to detail in order to make sure that he's worshiping God appropriately. Verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. 
while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. This was a time of celebration. It was a time of rejoicing, even with all of the attention to detail, the intentionality, the work, the energy of worshiping God appropriately. It was all motivated by joy. It was all fueled by this incredible sense of reverence and honor and celebration and rejoicing because the presence of God was coming to where it belonged, into the center of the nation. And David knew the consequence of this. I think he was rejoicing because David loved the presence of God so much and he felt a distance from the presence of the Lord. And he's saying, I'd be willing to do whatever I need to do in order to have the presence of God restored to our nation. I mean, think about where our nation is right now. Imagine if the ark of the Lord was at the center of our nation. Roy prayed an amazing prayer this morning for blessing on our schools. And and I'm just here to say that that's what it's going to take. It's going to take the people of God crying out and praying and fasting and worshiping and saying, God, would you restore a reverence for the person and the presence of God in our education systems, in our medical communities, in our military, in our civic government, in our businesses, in our homes, and by God, in our churches, we must have the ark of God. We must have the living, dynamic presence of God in the center of everything that we do. So this was fueled by rejoicing. And then we find in verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, Michal, daughter of Saul, she watched from a window. Why aren't you in the middle of this, sweetheart? Where are you at? Why are you on the outskirts? And why are you not referenced as the wife of David? Like for those of us who are experiencing 2 Samuel 6 for the first time, this lady, this, this, this daughter of, of Saul, this Michal character is David's wife. And instead of entering into the spirit of celebration and worship, instead of joining him in his ardent passion to see God's presence restored, she's on the outskirts. It reminds me of another character in Luke 15 when a party was going on. When a young son came back to the house of his father and there was a celebration that was taking place and there was an older son who was a little upset about that. He wasn't joining in the party. He wasn't excited. He wasn't rejoicing that he who was dead is now alive. He was kind of pouting a little bit. He was on the outside looking in. And we find that Michal, the daughter of Saul, not the wife of David, the daughter of Saul watched from a window. Friends, be careful when you find yourself watching worship. Be be careful when you find yourself a spectator and not a participator in worship. Worship was never designed to be something that we watch. Worship was never designed to be something that we sit back and criticize and analyze or or be entertained by. Worship is not something to watch. Worship is something that we give to God. It is something that we actively participate with. It's not something that we passively let happen around us. McCall finds herself a spectator of extravagant worship. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him. She despised him in her heart. Several weeks ago, as I was reading this passage, circumstantially through the lectionary, faithfully just walking through the scriptures, this phrase grabbed me. I didn't know what to do with it. It bugged me. It provoked me. It invited me. It stirred me. She despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place. The presence of the Lord has a place inside the tent 
that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person in the entire crowd, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. And David, imagine David, he is on a spiritual high right now. He has fulfilled the assignment of the Lord to bring the presence of God back into his nation. He's excited about the possibility of that. He's probably tired, believe it or not. Spiritual work takes spiritual energy, and it can be a little exhausting at times. Even though it can be exhilarating, it's tiring. David comes home, and he's hoping, he's desiring to come home to a family that's excited to see him. Come home to some affirmation. Great job, babe. So excited for your faithfulness. I'm so proud to be your wife. And this is what he comes home to. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household. Out of the overflow of him blessing the nation, blessing the congregation, blessing the people. He's saying, I want, to, I want my family to get a little bit of some of this. And he's ready. He's postured to give to bless, to encourage, to anoint his family. And this is what he meets. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow. Oh, you, you got to hear the disdain in that. Vulgar fellow, I am the king of Israel and my own wife has just labeled me and associated me with vulgar fellows. David said to Michal, listen, it was before the Lord who, by the way, chose me rather than your dad. Or singer, <laughs> or anyone by, the, by, by that way from your house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. And listen, babe, I will celebrate the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. Even if it means that I'm humiliated in my own eyes. L listen, to, listen to royalty speaking from my call. Listen to how the narcissistic, self-preserving focus on her reputation. Listen to that. Can't believe my husband. What are people going to think of me if you're running around out there half naked, out in the streets, dancing before the Lord? And David says, I will become. You haven't even begun to scratch the surface of how crazy I can get in my ardent passion and devotion for the Lord God Almighty. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I want to talk to you here for the next few moments about do not despise your blessing. Do not despise your blessing. Holy Spirit, God, I feel like I'm on assignment today. And I ask, Lord, for anointing for this assignment. God, I ask that you would give me clear and sharp and yet gracious and humble words that come from your heart. God, that we would not hear or perceive any of this as rebuke, but Lord, maybe a strong warning, maybe conviction. Maybe God, today our eyes could be opened. And maybe, oh God, we would participate with you in taking honest and holy reflection to see where we are at with you because it's your desire to bless us God, I pray that we would not miss our blessing in Jesus' name.
Amen. We have to understand at the beginning of this story, this story began in 2 Samuel 6. It began with a man's passion for the presence of God, which begs the question, where was the ark prior to this? And if you read through 1 Samuel and you read into 2 Samuel without going into details, deep details of the history here, the ark of God did belong to Israel. God gave strict orders to Moses several, several decades prior. And through the hands of anointed artisans, they create the ark of the Lord. And God, in that dispensation of time, prior to the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit, says, I'm going to house and host my presence in the tabernacle of God and particularly in the Holy of Holies where the ark of God rests. And the people of Israel... They, they treated the ark of God like a, like a superstitious trinket, right? And they, with a lot of presumption, said, well, we can, as long as the ark is with us, we can kind of live however we want. We can do whatever we want. We can say whatever we want. And we can go into battle and we're going to have victory. It kind of sounds like American Christianity to some degree, right? As long as I have the right playlist on my Spotify, As long as I kind of have a little bit of worship music going on from time to time, as long as I show up once every few months, as long as I, you know, toss a couple of bucks in the bucket, as long as I, yeah, things will be good. No, that's that's not what the presence of the Lord is about. David has this passion to see the lordship of the kingdom of God established in the nation of Israel. And we find that his predecessor, a man by the name of Saul, who is Michal's father, we find that he had no value. In fact, there's this very, very peculiar scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 3, and it says that in the days of Saul, people did not set themselves to seek the presence of God. Imagine if that were your epitaph. Imagine if that were your legacy. In the days of fill in the blank, their family did not set themselves to seek the presence of God. It wasn't a value under her leadership. It wasn't a priority in his family. And David comes on the scene, and what what we find is that David has just kind of stepped into his destiny. Like 13 years prior, he's a young boy, and he's been anointed, and he's been prophesied, but a 13-year journey until he actually becomes king of both Judah and Israel and locates himself in Jerusalem. And now, the first thing he wants to do is establish this nation under the rule of God. This is a little bit of David's backstory. And David comes in, and his wife, for whatever reason, we do not know. Now, one thing that we can probably assume is that because Michal did not grow up in a house that valued the presence of God. Because Michal did not grow up in a house where there were rituals and rhythms and habits and spiritual disciplines, because her father didn't sit down and say, we're going to prioritize being a family that is going to go after God, even if it costs us something. This wasn't a part of her grid. And here's what you have to understand. You will miss your blessing when you despise the vessels that God brings his blessing through. Michal despised David in her heart, and particularly she despised his worship. Now, let me just pause right here. I think that we enter into despising people when we don't understand their story. I think that we enter into the really fragile, shaky ground of disdaining and despising people in our heart when we come to judgments about who they are without entering into why they are who they are. Why is it that you do what you do? David, why is this so important to you? Well, if you would understand a little bit of my story, Mikhail, I know that we kind of had an arranged marriage. I know that I got married to you on the run 
But McCall, let me just bring you into my story a little bit. You know, I was the youngest son of a really big family of brothers, and a lot of those guys didn't like me. They rejected me. They outcast me. They, they mocked me, and they ridiculed me. In fact, Michal, if you, if you would know a little bit of my story, you would know that when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, they invited my entire family, but they didn't even think to invite me to the party, Michal, and yet I was out in the sheep fields by myself, dirty, stinky, but it's okay. I was with the Lord. And in those times of being alone and quiet and forgotten and rejected, Macau, I was writing songs to the Lord and I was taking care, responsible for my father's sheep. And when a bear would come, I was anointed by the power of God to go and fight that bear. When a lion came, I was anointed by the power of God to go fight that lion so that I would protect these low vulnerable sheep. And Macau, do you remember that there was this massive battle that Israel, our people, our nation was fighting against the Philistines and they had this giant champion, a man by the name of Goliath who came out and everybody in Israel was afraid of him, including your father, Macau, wouldn't even go out to fight him. And yet when I heard him despising the name of our God, I said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that despises the name of our God? And by the power and the anointing of God, I struck that man down. And as a result, I was promised you. I was promised you. And Mikhail, do you remember that it was your own father who chased me down and hunted me down with saliva that was literally coming down his face because he was so hell-bent on murdering me because he was insecure and because he was jealous, because he wasn't living right with God. And Mikhail, do you remember how I had to run away from the kingdom and how I had to run away from my family? And do you remember how my best friend Jonathan was killed in battle? And do you remember how Samuel, I wasn't even able to hang out with my mentor and I had to pretend like I was a crazy man? Mikhail, this is why the presence of God matters to me. Because the presence of God kept me alive. The presence of God was my everything when my family wasn't there for me. When the leaders that I served were attacking me and accusing me, all I had was the presence of God, Macau. Do you remember? Do you remember the victories that we experienced? It wasn't because I was a powerful man. In fact, if you read 1 Samuel 17, you know what you'll find? You'll find this same word. You'll find in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 42, that when Goliath looked at David, the scripture says he disdained him. That'd be like Mike Tyson looking at Justin Bieber. That'd be like, that'd be like Bieber going, I could take you. Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather. Like you would be utterly offended. And that was this, this, this utter disdain. It's the same word. The same feeling that Goliath had for David is the same word that is used for what Michal felt against David, her husband. And friends, let me tell you this. You have to be careful. Be careful who you despise. Be careful what you allow into your heart. You know, another place where we find this word despised, there was two brothers, a guy by the name of Esau, a guy by the name of Jacob. Remember the story? For those of you guys who aren't aware of the story, two brothers, twins. One brother was favored by the father, one brother favored by the mother. One guy was hairy, a man's man. He was a fighter and a hunter. The other one, smooth-skinned, a little bit more of a trickster and a deceiver. And in the culture of the Hebrews, the older of the family received what's called the, the birthright, the inheritance. It was blessing. It was, it was favor. And out of trickery and deceit, in a moment when the older of the two twins was hungry, the scripture says he was famished. He was out hunting all day long. And he says, man, give me some of that beef stew, man. That looks amazing. Give me some of that. Israel, Jacob was over there making, he was, he was a chef. He's getting his master chef on. He's like, oh my God, hey, you, you kill the food, I'll prepare it. Israel, Jacob makes this food. Esau comes in and he says, man, can I get a bowl of that stew? And he says, yeah, absolutely. He says, I'll tell you what, how hungry are you? Like, I mean, like, how much is this worth? And this is what he says, why don't you, why don't you give me, why don't you sell me your birthright? Why don't, you, why don't you give to me? Why don't, you, why don't we make a little trade here? And why don't you give me the most important thing in your life for this 
temporary moment of reprieve. And Esau, imagine this, imagine this. Imagine being promised an inheritance and for one moment of hunger, you give it all away. Because that's what Esau did. And here's what the scripture says. The scripture says that Esau despised his birthright. Same word. Same word that's used for Michal despising David. Same word that's used for Goliath being utterly abhorred and offended by this young, ruddy, handsome, skinny, scrawny little boy, assuming that he can battle with him. Here's another place where we find this word. It's actually just a couple of chapters after 2 Samuel 6. David has established his kingdom and in a moment of comfort, in a moment of letting his guard down, in a moment of forgetting where he came from. The scripture tells us in 2 Samuel 11 that he cheats with a lady by the name of Bathsheba. Anybody remember this story? David's a king, he's married, he's got multiple wives. He looks out from his balcony, he sees this beautiful gal and he says, I've got to have her and because I'm the king, I can, I can flex my power and I can abuse my power and I'm going to have her. And so he ends up taking this woman who was married. And then David, the same man who God calls a man after his own heart, murders her husband, and then he covers it up. And in the very next chapter, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, there's a prophet by the name of Nathan. He comes and tells this masterful story about injustice, tells this really clever story about a a man abusing his power and taking from someone who just owned a little, even though this man had everything. David's furious, and he says, we need to do something about this guy. And Nathan points his finger at him. He says, King, you're the one. You're the man. And here's what Nathan says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. He says, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Why did you despise the word of the Lord? I need us to get into this word. I, I need us to wrestle with this word because it's not a word that we use very often nowadays. It's not a common word in the English language. In fact, when I, I just did a, I was playing around, did a little Google search, and I just said ways that we despise others or why do we despise others? And like, it's not common. So what comes up is hate. Like the word that we most commonly now associate with the word despise is the word hate. Goliath hated David. Esau hated his birthright. They call hated David in her heart. And here the prophet David is coming to David and said, why, why have you neglected? Why have you looked down on? Why did you not value? Why did you not esteem the word of the Lord? And he uses the word despise you. Utterly, David, if we're going to be light about this, if we're going to be light about this, we could say that you just kind of reprioritize where the word of the Lord should be. But if we're going to like put the full weight on this, Nathan could have said, David, you have utterly hated the counsel and the command of God for your life. Because you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes, you killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword. Verse 10, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. You despised me. And what I've got in the next few minutes, what I've got to land this on right now is for us to really wrestle. God, where am I? Where am I harboring disdain and where am I harboring contempt? And where am I allowing an insidious despising of other people to live in my life? You know, at the end of 2 Samuel 6, here was an interesting discovery that I made. I don't know why. I don't know how this came into my thinking. But over the course of many years, it's not like I'm hanging out in 2 Samuel all the time. But over the course of time, I just assumed that the scripture said that Michal had no children because the Lord cursed her. I just assumed that. I don't know how. And when I read that again, I said, the Lord did not curse her. 
And here's what you need to understand, brothers and sisters, is that you cannot be fruitful with who you despise. You cannot build a fruitful relationship with someone that you despise. You can't have fruitful conversations. You can't have a fruitful working relationship with a coworker if in your heart you are insidiously despising them. You can't have a marriage that flourishes with life and with intimacy and with blessing, with great communication and romance and, and sex and fun. You cannot have that if somewhere in your heart you have allowed yourself to despise something about them. We see it in the church. We see it in our relationships with our friends. We see it in our relationships on staffs that we work with. And brothers and sisters today, here's what we have to understand. Was it that the Lord cursed Michal that she couldn't have babies? Or was it that no man wants to be intimate with a woman who inside of her heart, she's despising him? You cannot be fruitful if you are not intimate. And you cannot be intimate with someone you despise. And what Macau missed is that the blessing of God comes through people. Like I know we like to assume that we can all retreat into our little private faith caves and we can experience blessing. We like to believe that. But it's false because God blesses us through us. He blesses you through the people that are in your life. Children, God's going to bless you through your parents. And if you harbor disdain towards your parents, you're going to cut off blessing in your life. You're going to cut off the word of blessing. You're going to cut off affection. You're going to cut off wisdom. In fact, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 tells us this. Proverbs 1 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We just came out of a series on Proverbs. But fools, say it with me, despise. Listen, like, think about this. Listen to this powerful contrasting language. Fools are fools because they despise. And you can see it. You can, you can see it. You ever had a conversation with someone and you can just feel the walls of unteachability. You can feel people getting anger. You can feel resentment rising. You can feel them arguing. You can feel them justifying. You know what that is? That's them despising the voice of wisdom. It's despising counsel. How dare you? What makes you think? You assume that you can tell me something. It's despising wisdom. And the scripture tells us that the path of the one who despises wisdom is the path of the fool. And the path of the fool is a hard path. It's a path of destruction. Three things that we see happen with McCall here. We see, number one, that she disqualifies herself from blessing because she despised David in her heart. Number two, we see that intimacy is damaged, and as a result, it diminishes fruitfulness. How do you and I despise people today? That's what we got to get into. Because I, I, I think it's in every single one of us. I think in ways that maybe that we cover up, ways that we justify, ways that we excuse, ways that we ignore, ways that we don't even take time to slow down and reflect on. I think that we just, we harbor the spirit of despising other people. I think we do it in a couple of ways. I think it when we judge people without knowing people. I think we do it when we compare ourselves with others. When we find ourselves competing against other people. They're not competing against us, but we find ourselves competing against them. I think we despise other people when we slander against them, when we assassinate and we attack their character. We're despising others. I think we despise other people when we refuse to allow grace to flow into the relationship. When we hold grace back from someone else, we despise them. I think we despise other people when we hold them in a place in their lives because of mistakes or failures or decisions that they made and we, have, we, we refuse to allow them to move forward. I think we're despising them in that moment. I think when we belittle people, when we dehumanize people, and let me just pause here. I think it's easiest to despise people on social media. 
I think we despise people when we turn people into the problems. Listen, the, the, the person is not the problem. The problem is the problem. Humanize the person. One of the beautiful things about having the gift, and it has been an incredible gift, friends, to be able to pull away and have time is, is that you could I, could I could just shut everything down. Shut social media, shut Newsweek, shut time off, shut the Gazette off, shut the Atlantic, just shut it all off, pull away and get my face in the face of God and see clearly again. And as I reemerged this past week and I'm beginning to pay attention to what's going on, we are so polarized, we are so villainized and it doesn't matter what the issue is. And listen, I, I just I have the sneaky suspicion that on every issue, both sides have an element of truth and both sides have an element of being right. But we villainize people when we despise them in our hearts. We can't talk about issues because I despise who you are. And you can extrapolate this into every area of your lives. Personally, personally, when you despise someone, it cuts the blessing off of your personal relationships. We go out into a larger setting like our church. Guys, our church will not be a place of blessing. You will not experience the life and the joy and the power and the victory that God has available for us in his presence if we walk in and we're harboring resentment and despising people in and out of these doors. You walk out of the store, you go into the world, and you interact with people on social media, you read responses, and you locate them in categories, and you put them in their categories of disdain. They are categories of hatred. They are categories of offense. They are categories of despite. And we do that. We have to be honest with this. And, and, and the church is losing its voice of influence and in the culture. The, the church is losing its power and anointing. And one of the reasons why is because we are a people who despise the world. We despise the people who think differently than us. I think people who are for vaccines despise, think about, they despise people who for what, I can't, I can't even get into why you might not consider having a vaccine because I'm so angry at you because everybody has told me why you're not getting a vaccine and I believe them and I've never talked to you and I hate you. I may not say that with my words, but I hate you because I despise everything that you're about. You've not had one conversation with me. I think people who are against vaccines or are slow or hesitant or reluctant or taking time or they're researching, I, I, I think if, if we're not careful, we will despise people for whatever their story is for getting a vaccine. And we've located them in a box. Yeah. Guys, whatever, listen, whatever the issue is, guard your heart. Yes. Guard your heart, friends. Yes. Because the blessing flows. The blessing flows when we have hearts that are clean and open to one another. Jonathan, if you would come, there's another verse in the scriptures. There's another verse in the scriptures where we see this word. It's Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, hundreds of years before Jesus the Messiah comes on the scene, there is a man by the name of Isaiah. He was a prophet from the Lord and he's prophesying Jesus and here's what he says, verse one, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He is speaking of Jesus. Jesus, he had no beauty or no majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should even desire him. He was despised. said the blessing comes through relationships and I said that you cannot have a fruitful relationship with someone you despise this was our story Jesus comes from the home of glory full of God to reconcile humanity back to God and the scripture says right here he was despised he was abhorred he was disdained. He was rejected. He was not valued. Everett, if we could just leave those, this verse on there. I want us to look at this with our eyes. See this. Jesus was despised and rejected. Like if you just really take some time and just meditate on how powerful this word is. Humanity hated Jesus. And there's parts of humanity, even today, they hate. They 
and they hate us as a result. And yet, verse four, he was a man of suffering. He was familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But listen, he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds were made whole. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? It's difficult for us to take holy honest reflection of our hearts without having a holy, honest relationship with Jesus. And in ways that we may not know, some of us in this room today or watching online may be harboring a sense of despising God. How could you ask this of me? I'm not sure if you are who you say that you are. Friends, I just, I want to appeal to you today that he's a good God. He's a good father. And every motivation and every action of his life towards you has been motivated by a holy, untainted love. And that even though we are the ones who turned our backs on him and despised him, the scripture says that he came after us and he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was disdained. Jesus was mocked and he was ridiculed and he gave his life humbly and sacrificially and freely so that we could be restored and be fruitful. The blessing comes through relationships and the greatest blessing of all is walking in intimate fellowship with God and with his people. And friend, today, if you find yourself far from God, if you find yourself despising him, if you find yourself angry with God, not knowing God, distant from God, friend, I I humbly want to invite you. Come to the table of the Lord. Taste and see that he's good. He loves you. Taste and see that his goodness is always chasing you. That he can put together broken pieces. He can make sense of madness and that he is for you. Friends, let us come And let us receive today of the bread and of the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus. I invite you to come to the table. You can exit on your left, receive the elements, and we will all take them together. time, but I I want to invite you in this holy moment to invite the Lord to search and examine your heart. And the prayer that comes to mind is very simply, Father, would you search and examine me? And where I have harbored disdain, where I have despised my neighbor, would you show me? Would you forgive me? Would you have mercy on me? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends and he took bread and he broke it. Just break this in our hands. He says, this is my body and it was broken for you. Take and receive. Friends, the body of Christ broken for you. Let us take and eat.
and he took the cup. By the way, he did all this sitting right across the table from someone who despised him and betrayed him and sold him out. But he took that cup. It's the cup of reconciliation. It's the cup of redemption. It's the cup of forgiveness. It's the cup of mercy and grace. And he passed his cup around even to his betrayer. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. My blood, which has been given for the forgiveness of sins. Receive mercy. Your sins have been forgiven. Friends, let us take and receive the cup. Thanks be to God. I want to humbly appeal to you, friends, wrestle with this word. Don't disqualify yourself from the blessing of God because you're despising, judging, comparing, competing, or slandering with another person. The blessing of God is for you. Jonathan, let us sing a song of thanksgiving to the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all that so many things are happening around here and you can uh, tune into those through the QR codes online through the app but one very important thing is in two weeks we have a family talk for all of our members at 4 p.m. two weeks from today it's going to be an awesome fun informative time time of relationship time of looking to the future and I encourage you guys to, to sign up so that we can have plenty of food and child care and be, uh, be a part of our family talk may the Lord bless you today New Life Midtown May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord just work in your favor this week. May the Lord draw you near to him, anoint you in fresh ways, heal you and deliver you, protect you and bless you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sure do love you guys. Good to be home. Have a great week.